is the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit, I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad, and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne, and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! Well, welcome back everyone to Rogue Opinions. It's another huge weekend of wrestling. And as per we've got our reviews and our predictions that we do here at Rogue Opinions. We've got NWA Hard Times. That's what we're here to talk about now. And with the punishment that we're going to talk about at the end of the show for the two losers of this weekend's predictions. I think the term hard times is suitable for what they're going to be in for. It's a big weekend. We've not really talked about NWA on Rogue Opinions before. We've talked about 
New Japan AWWE, but I thought it was good out of all the shows. Rather than doing World's Collide, where there's not really anything on the line, we thought NWA Hard Times had a lot going for it. We thought it's something new for us. We've not really had yeah, a really chance to talk about it before. Uh, I'm Scott McLeod, as you know, and joining me is Carl. Hello, Scott. Yes, and as you say, <clears throat> they guaranteed a, a new champion at this pay-per-view with the uh, TV title tournament. So, um, had a lot going for it. Yeah. As I said before, we haven't really talked a lot about NWA, so I don't think we've got a chance to get a lot of people's thoughts on it. Uh, Carl, what were, what were your thoughts being on NWA? Have you been watching it since it started? Have you been uh, following along? Yeah, well, I didn't start exactly when it started, um, but I heard nothing but good things about it. So I quickly caught up. I think I was only a couple of episodes behind, and I've been watching it weekly ever since. And mm-hmm. for me, it's one of the most enjoyable hours on television right now, to be honest. Well, I say television, it's a YouTube, but yeah. you, you, you get the drift. And, yeah, I get you. Uh, and yourself, what, what, uh, what have you been making of it so far? I've really enjoyed it. Like I was following along on the YouTube like time when they did the ten pounds of gold because I was really enjoying the stuff Oliver was doing, especially when he started the the build to all in with him and uh, Cody Rose because I think that's when everybody seemed to jump on board the NWA hype train at that stage. So I was following along, and then we heard that they were going to be doing going back to studio wrestling, and part of me was kind of skeptical when I heard that because as well as they've been doing on YouTube, I didn't know if it would translate. Me the, the wrestling market was already created with the announcement of places like EW and that so I thought how can they really stand out on television will it really work in this current climate and I think from the first episode I've been watching since Power started I'll be honest I think I was, I was proving that yes it can work because I think it's, for me out of all the weekly shows that are going on at the moment it's one of my favourites because it's easy to follow along it goes by like that and usually you said if you're a bit behind you can Get catch up with it, no problem, because they're really only an hour a week on YouTube. Yeah, and, and like you say, I must admit, I was, I was a tad sceptical as well, especially with it being such a throwback of the studio wrestling, but mm-hmm. for me, it really works. Like you say, it's, um, it is a throwback, but it's, it, it still works, and they've got some great talent there, like Eli Drake and Nick Aldis. He's really come along since his TNA days. Um, Melina's even shown up. Um, yeah, some uh, some really great stuff, and the, and the wrestling's been pretty good as well. As and as we'll get to uh, as we go through this pay per view. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the idea of studio wrestling can work in this current climate. I actually think the studio set up in the small crowd really actually helps it if anything because it's a smaller crowd, but they're always hot. No matter what we've seen at the tapings, we saw on this pay-per-view, it's these are passionate fans, and we've seen like the reports of tapings and pay-per-views, the tickets selling out and just under the day. So I think that format really helps. I mean, some of my favorite moments on episodes of Power have been like talking segments rather than the wrestling. Whereas in most places, like in AEW or NXT, the thing you're talking about most is the matches. Where you, with NWA Power, you're talking about promos. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the best promos in wrestling at the moment, just not just in uh, NWA power is uh, Eli Drake. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's been exceptional on this, uh, on this program. And yeah. uh, as you were talking, yeah, the, the crowd, um, 
after the hard time, they, they were so up for it, weren't they? It was so lively. It, it felt like there was a lot more people than uh, there actually was there, wasn't there? There was so much noise and passion yeah. in the building. Definitely. And as I said, easy said, Eli Drake is one of the, <clears throat> the best like, talkers that they've got on the roster. I even thought he cuts a promo later on that we'll talk about. And I remember while he was talking, thing like, Jesus, he's just like, just reveling like how over this guy is, especially with this crowd. And he backs it up, we, we talks. But we'll jump in, into the pay-per-view because I remember watching the last NWA pay-per-view, Into the Fire, which was also a solid pay-per-view from start to finish. And they made a major announcement coming out of it that the TV championship was coming back. And they've been having qualifiers in the lead-up to this on NWA Power. They had six guys qualify for the tournament. And they had two open slots and they were going to do a one-night tournament at hard times to crown the new champion. Oh, I talked about the, the two open slots that eventually went to Matt Cross and Dan Moff. Now, part of me thinks that they shouldn't have announced who the who the two like open slots were going to go to because I think it would have created a, kind of a big pop if people like recognised them and they came out and they weren't expecting them. And also it would have been good for us as fans to kind of speculate as to who they would be because I was thinking if we did, then it could have been part of our predictions, but but actually, part of me thought Brody Lee was going to be one of them. I was well off. So, what were your thoughts on it? Well, um, I, I see what you mean there, but um, they're not guys I'm well aware of. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> say that they're not exactly household names. I don't want to offend the the guys yeah. in question, or you know. And I'm sure there's people who listen to this podcast say, "Well, I've heard of them," but uh, I'm not a massive Ring of Honor fan. It's not one of it. It's not. Uh, promotion I've really watched. So it might have, as you say, if people like yourself might have been expecting Brody Lee, it might have been a, a bit of an anti-climax when, um, as you say, somebody like um, Dan Math comes out instead. <laughs> but, um, you know, they gave us good matches. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I, uh, I kind of knew who they were. Like, I knew who Matt Cross was. I've He's kind of been around the Indies for a long time. He was in John Uger and his Son of Havoc. I've actually seen Matt Cross wrestle live once back in. Oh, uh, nice. I seen him in 2018. He came to ICW to unsuccessfully challenge Mark Coffey for the ZOG title, and it was a hell of a match. I only know Dan Math by name because I've seen him here and there. I know he's worked. Uh, Jimmy knows of him because he's worked in the promotion that Jimmy works with, uh, ah, Pro right. Wrestling Magic. Uh, message him because I was sure he was one of the names I'd heard about through like the show that Jimmy does up uh, Monday Morning Magic and he said yeah he had worked with him uh, Dan Moff had been the Pro Wrestling Magic champion for over a year apparently so he's clearly like more yeah, he's working on a local level kind of the local like indies and now he's working in Ring of Honor so he's finally getting his name out there and he also got to compete on on hard times but I want to talk about the, the opening to this promo it's not exactly what I thought we'd get. It was a very sombre opening. Cause it was this black and white opening, just hyping up, like showing you the progression of Nick Aldis since the last pay per view where he turned heel and formed this uh, heel faction, uh, Strictly Business, which I must say, Nick Aldis has been great ever since he officially turned heel. But, and then there's a song. And I think it may have been Billy Corgan saying it sounded like him. Yeah, and, I, was, I was convinced it's him as well, to be fair. I mean, I could have looked it up, but uh, clearly forgot. But yeah, it was a somber like song singing about hard times and doing this black and white 
videos playing and then just cut to the crowd all cheering like it was a weird transition to open a pay-per-view yeah it, it was it was okay you'd think it needed something more upbeat because the way when it opened i mean the noise and reaction from the crowd was just so passionate and and upbeat but um yeah and also when nick aldis's heel turn it wasn't a sudden heel turn either i mean if you watch the show from the beginning they've been gradually sowing the seeds for it haven't they with with the way he talked to people mm-hmm. and sort of not exactly maybe cheat not exactly cheating but definitely using the odd underhanded tactic to to get wins and stuff so um it wasn't like a heel turn out of nowhere i think it was very well yeah, very well put together and paced yeah then uh I've been saying we get other friends who watch this. They talk about how initially before into the fire they were like, oh, like they couldn't tell his motivations. Like, what is he? We met cheer, we met hate him, and then we we found out it was just a gradual thing, and then we eventually got that payoff of him doing the official turn. So yeah, like how it was a kind of a gradual thing. And the thing about this like somber intro is we compare that to how Power Use opens with that really great like high energy like theme song into the fire. And then it cuts to the crowd. It feels like a natural thing, whereas this just like bit like kind of awkward. And then it was just a complete tonal shift as we started. Our uh, our commentary team for the show is uh, Joe Galley and the former Bad News Barrett, Stu Bennett. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of them as a commentary team? Because I really think Stu Bennett uh, is actually I find him more entertaining than when Jim Cornette was on commentary. And I thought Cornette's comments aside was kind of decent on. As part of the NW commentary team, but I think Stu Bennett's quickly surpassed them on commentary. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I was a little bit concerned when they um, lost Jim Cornette, just on the fact that he is a, although he's a controversial figure, he, he is a good hand and he, he knows the job inside out. But uh, yes, Stu Bennett, I enjoyed his commentary um, on um, World of Sport when he had that on ITV, and I think he stepped up another level. Um, on power and NWA, and yeah, he's he he's genuinely funny. He's not having to <laughs> make controversial and silly comments to to get jokes over and be funny. And um, he's relevant as well, and he gives you information. <laughs> like I had no idea Tom Latimer was English and from uh, up north in England until. <laughs> um, well, it's obvious when he when he cuts a promo, but I hadn't yeah. really heard him cut a promo until after Steve Bennett had mentioned it on an episode of Power. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I think he's an excellent commentator. It's a shame he doesn't want to get back into the ring because he's still relatively young. Yeah, I think so. But obviously, I think but the thing is, the thing with Cornette, the reason they got him on is because he'd been around the business for so long, so he could add his kind of expertise while Joe Galley was doing kind of the play by play, but. I think while Bennett hasn't had the same experience in many, many years as Cornette, he still brings a lot. He adds a lot to the show. Like, and like he said, he, he did have a, quite a few genuine like funny lines on this show. Like They announced that if any of the, the, the TV title matches went to a time limit draw, there would be three judges that would determine who went through. It would be uh, the referee, Billy Corgan, and Stu Bennett. And Stu Bennett questioned why... He was made one of the judges that he is easily bribable. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was funny. <laughs> yeah, and uh, during one of the matches when they were getting close to the time limit, he goes, "I don't know which men these men I would say with. None of them have attempted to bribe me yet." 
<laughs> yeah, and the he made a bit of an announcement about the next uh, pay per view, and he says, "I've got some." Breaking news for you. There might be a bit of a catchphrase in that, but I'll have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to talk about the announcement later on, but yeah, looking like we're getting there. We'll soon have a T-shirt there that says "Breaking News." Ben, uh, yeah, I can guarantee it. By the next pay-per-view, I mean, it'll be a T-shirt the NWO selling. It makes it even more ludicrous that WWE can that gimmick because he hasn't done it for like five or six years, and it's still over. It's just, what were they thinking? Seriously. I know. I mean, I can imagine they would put a t-shirt there. I mean, they can, they've got a t-shirt with Tim Storm's mother on it, so I think they can, <laughs> yeah. it's over. So I'm sure the fans of NWA will really buy anything. That, that it, looks, well, it looks suspiciously like Tim Storm with glasses and curly hair, that, that <laughs> picture, to be, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so, as I said, we've got Joe Galley and Stuart welcome us to the show, and then we kick off with the first round of the TV title tournament, a six-minute and five-second time limit because the NWA power goes up at 6.05 Eastern time, and I really like that. Yeah, I wasn't sure about it then, but over the course of power, I really like the, the urgency around like, the tournament and the matches, like people having to get it in that period of time. And also, as we were talking, Carl, I mean, before we started recording, with the tournament and then the other matches we had in this, there were 11 matches on the show. The show was two and a half hours long. There were 11 matches. But when you actually look back on it, when you feel like, think about it, it didn't feel that long, actually. Actually, there were 10 matches because uh, one of the uh, competitors gets a bye through the first round. We'll talk about that in a bit. But So the 10 matches in two and a half hours, and most other shows would feel like a bit of a slog to get through. But it just was by, like, the first three first-round matches went through in about 25 minutes. Yeah, and when they first started doing the TV title tournament on the, on the YouTube show and the six-minute, um, five-second time limit, I was thinking, ooh, you know, it's not very long. Is, is, you know, is that going to be long enough to put together a good match? But it does, it work. As you say, they, there's no rest holds. They have to go straight into it because there's such a short time limit. And it really does work. And I kind of hope, I, I'm assuming that it's the TV title, it's going to be defended on power maybe every episode or every other episode. And I kind of hope they stick to that time limit for the actual defences, to be honest. It'll make it different. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, just give it something different, really, and, and make the matches more urgent. But we'll have to see how, what they decide to do. Yeah, I mean, also, like, we've heard a lot of veterans in the business talk about when people say, oh, they didn't get enough time, you often use that phrase of maximising your minutes, and I think the NWA is really using that approach with this TV title and that, yeah, this might be, it might be defend every week, but because it's six minutes, you don't get a chance to get bored of the matches. If anything, it'll leave you wanting more. So I think they're really utilising that phrase, you know, to maximise your minutes. Yes, and I hope avid listener... Mr. Levesque is paying attention. <laughs> you don't have to have a 30-minute match for it to be good, <laughs> especially when you're pushing 50. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, this uh, we didn't have any matches going 30 minutes on this show. Our opening match in the TV title tournament was Trevor Murdoch versus the question mark. And the question mark, I had never heard, seen the question mark before this uh, NWA Power started 
and he quickly became my favourite member of the entire roster. And he's going against Trevor Murdoch, a lot of people will remember from WWE, but he's been kind of taking this role similar to uh, Tim Storm in that he's this veteran that the crowd really gets behind and he's still out to prove something. What were your thoughts on this match? It was a very quick uh, match in the CU title tournament. It went about just over three minutes, I think. But uh, what were your thoughts, Carl? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Again, it, it it almost seemed longer than three minutes, but in a good way because so much happened. And I was quite surprised by the uh, by the end result. Um, yeah. And as you say, yeah, uh, I liked it. Murdoch, uh, Trevor Murdoch's character, a sort of no a no nonsense southern brawler, basically. Yeah, definitely. It's this idea like nothing too like flashy, no like wrestle, just get in and go and progress in the tournament. It's a weird thing with the question mark. The question mark, unfortunately, did not pick up the win here. Uh, Turb Murdoch hit the uh, bulldog from the middle rope, from the middle turnbuckle. The uh, question mark kicked out, and they made it seem got straight back up, and they made it seem like a big deal as if this bulldog yeah. from the middle turnbuckle was this big protected move, like the bloody rainmaker. But then Murdoch gets on the, <laughs> yeah. gets on the turnbuckle again. It's another one, and then he pins the question mark. So you know he didn't wait around; he just immediately hit his finish again. But the thing that really surprised me was is over Murdoch is, I think the question mark is more popular. And actually, thought he would actually be in the final. If he, even if he didn't win, he'd be in the final. And the fact he went in the first round, I think, was a shock. But I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, it probably was a good decision in a way. I mean, he's supposed to be a heel, the question mark, but the ace. You know, it's one of the, it's, it's almost like Undertale. The beginning of Undertaker sort of levels a stupid gimmick that you don't think's <laughs> gonna work, but he's making it work and it's got it got over. I mean, I, I do want to ask you something, Scott, because you you're a bit more uh, knowledgeable on wrestling than I am. Are we meant to know who's under the mask or not? Because I, I was wondering if the joke was that we actually know who the question mark is, but I'm not in on a joke because I don't know who he is or. I think, I don't know if we are meant to know who it is. Uh, I, I think one of my friends actually said he found out who the question mark is and I told him not to tell me because <laughs> I really don't, I, I kind of don't want to know. Like, mm. I don't want to see him without the mask because I think it'll spoil the illusion. Like, I've never seen any photos of Drushin Thunder Liger without his mask and I don't want to because, again, like, it's that illusion of, like, what they look like you don't really want to know. Yeah, because WCW spoiled a lot of... Uh... Lucha Libre wrestlers, didn't they, when they decide, mm-hmm. decided to take their masks off? I know. Once you've seen Rey Mysterio's face once, that's it. You've it's in your head. Even when it, you know how much longer he mm. puts the mask on, you you still remember like you took your mask off before. I know what you look like. And you can sort of see with some of them why WCW wanted to do that because there were some good-looking men under those masks. To be <laughs> honest, and they perhaps thought that was more marketable than the masks. But WWE signed Rey Mysterio or put him back straight back into his mask and he sold a shed load of masks from the merchandise stands. So I mean we only still on that. I did see a few fans in the crowd wearing question mark masks. Mm. It's, I do agree with your comparison to the Undertaker. Like it's one of these gimmicks that somehow we're able to justify in what talking talking about it with other wrestling fans, but if you explained it to somebody out with wrestling it would just you realise quickly how little it makes sense, and you can see that a lot <laughs> yeah. of gimmicks with it. And the question mark falls in a long list of them. Uh, so yeah, 
Trevor Murdoch went through. I think it was the point was it maybe kind of a shock. Like go if you expected the question mark to go through, so it's kind of a shot win for Murdoch. And I think we actually see like what Murdoch would do later on. I think it made sense why he went through. Yeah. But, but uh, I think this will be Carl's least favorite match that we talk about because the second match is outlandish Zicky Dice versus Dan Maff. And now, Carl, Zicky Dice was your pick to win this tournament. And he made a vital mistake when he came out because he went over to the table where the TV title was being held and made that fatal mistake of picking the title up before he'd even wrestled <laughs> any matches, which is yeah, always a bad omen. It is, isn't it? I mean, because he's been featuring him so heavily on uh, the Power TV show lately, and, you know, the, he had to go through two qualifying matches um, just because he's so charismatic. Um, yeah. he, he does look like a throwback to the 80s of his... This style, I, I was convinced, you know, they'd want to get him over and put the title on him, but obviously, I, uh, I was completely and utterly wrong. Yeah, I, I remember when he came out, I did agree that his gimmick to me did scream NWA, so it was a perfect for from I uh, him being against one of the open slots was part of the reason I didn't want them to be announced because I figured he's the kind of character who can come out, talk a big game, and then get surprised mm. by not knowing who his opponent was get quickly beaten and then he could use that later on as an excuse for why he lost but then they obviously announced who the open slots were and I agree with you like he did seem like they were heavily presenting him on TV and Joe Gall even said he put a poll out on Twitter about who people thought would win and he said surprisingly a lot of people were backing Zicky Dice but yeah that got my hope that got my hopes up (laughs) (laughs) I know it it made you think for a bit and because I, I think maybe they were while they were trying to push him as a character who can can be quite annoying to the crowd. I don't think they were expecting that many people to really assume that he was going to win. And when Dan Math came out, it seemed to be a case of you got this monster versus this guy who's basically trying to take any opening, kind of get an advantage. My favorite spot in this match was Dan Math goes for this Phil Nelson slam. Zicky hits an elbow to get out of it, goes to straight away, but Moff just grabs him by the trunk and says to say, "No, you don't." Pulls him back and then hits the Phil Nelson. <laughs> yeah, such a such a big, powerful man, Dan Dan Master. It's not surprising from that sense that uh, he picked up the win. To be fair, yeah, uh, the end end came. I think when Ziggy Dice came off the top and he was caught in midair with a really great looking spear from Dan Math. Yes, <laughs> that not, he sold that really well. That looked devastating. I mean. I definitely think Zicky Ace will be uh, one of the first challengers for the TV title. Well, it's definitely not last, and we'll see him in that title picture. So, you know, there's still hope for him. But I think when you've seen that they wanted Math to go through and you've seen the bracket, then it was going to be Trevor Murdoch v. Dan Math. You're saying these two bigger guys, basically, they wanted these two big knock lumps out of each other, these two big brawlers, as you, as you talk about. So I think you can see in the grand scheme of why they wanted that. Our, our next match is. The second open slot, Matt Cross versus Ricky Starks. And from what I've seen of Matt Cross, is more of a high flyer. I figured him versus the younger, more athletic uh, Ricky Starks. I thought this is a great like pairing to put him in. And Matt Cross, I think if you've not seen him before, I think he does some impressive stuff in this match. Yeah, I, I was really blown away by Matt Cross. I thought he was excellent. And again, because Dan Math won... Um, it put me in a position where I wouldn't have been surprised if Matt Cross had won. 
So um, I was biting for quite a few near falls in this match because I really wasn't sure um, who was going to go over. I mean, I was convinced at the start that Starks would at least get to the final, but with the other results, it sort of put doubt, you know, doubt in my mind, and it worked really well for the preceding matches. I thought. Yeah, uh, Starks was uh, my pick to win this. We people predicted Starks would be in the final. I thought he'd be against the question mark. You said he would be against Ziggy Dice, but I think it was clear from a lot of people that he was one of the favourites. And I knew at least you knew at least one of the open slots would probably win because it would be a point that's kind of bringing them in just to have them lose. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a small part that think yeah Matt Cross could come in and win, but. Obviously, for the sake of predictions, I was like, please don't do that. But <laughs> I did kind of like the the one announcement with the uh, the flips when each guys, both guys showing what they were capable of. Matt Cross with that impressive kind of almost like stretch himself out on the ring post and then just dropping so he could splash on a Starks on the outside. Yeah, that that was a an interesting manoeuvre and it also gave us another another one of. Um... Barrett's, um, well, Stu Bennett's uh, nugget to it. He said, I saw a, a lap dancer do something similar, but with decidedly different results. <laughs> yeah, and like this is in this match, the other two matches went about three or so minutes. This match went around four, I think, near enough. But and I noticed that this was a whole thing with the time limit that they started to like because they'd mentioned that the fact what would happen if there was a draw, it made you think that maybe one of these matches would go the time limit. And as over the course of the tournament, they kept getting closer and closer to yeah. the time limit running out, which was a really nice touch, I thought, because it really handled the tension. And the near falls, the closer the time limit got to running out, made you like, question, like, well, what's it going to take to actually end this match? Are they going to have to go to a draw? Yeah, exactly. Um, you never know. As soon as they start announcing things like judges, you think, well, you know... The- They've got to be there for a reason, but uh, no, it, it was quite clever. A bit like, uh, was it um, Jericho and Cody that had a judge mm-hmm. system as well, just in case in AW? Yeah, they didn't end up needing that, but I think the fact that they had that unsanctioned match to come after them was the main reason for it. They don't want to go an hour and then everybody realises, oh, we've got one more match to go. I think if they didn't have that match that had to go on last, there's a chance Jericho and Cody probably would have went an hour if they could. Mm. I have a feeling that uh, not the last time we'll see that judges system in the so they'll probably try that again. But Ricky Starks with his move, the stroke, as it, when he thinks he's a stroke daddy, yeah, the kind of elevated underarm into the face buster on Matt Cross, and Ricky Starks managed to pick up the win, and he progressed through. Now, he was supposed to face the winner of Tim Storm versus Ken Anderson, it was originally one of the Dawsons, but then he got injured and then Anderson won this last chance gauntlet on the go-home episode of Power. And then now we've been told that Mr. Anderson was not medically cleared to compete. Now, this was something that I, I was convinced there was going to be some sort of angle or someone was going to challenge Storm and Storm was going to end up getting robbed somehow. But I think because there's a chance that this whole thing with Anderson maybe wasn't in the plan. So I think they just decided to have Storm go through and face Starks in the next round because when you think of people who would get a bye in the tournament you wouldn't think somebody as loved the Storm who's willing to show that he he belongs in the NWA. What were your thoughts on this Anderson situation? Does it catch you kind of off guard? Yeah it did I, you know, I was fully expecting him to compete on this show 
Uh, I like the way Tim Storm addressed it, though, because um, a lot of, it's always like the baby face. Oh, you know, I've got to challenge somebody. I can't just go through. But, you know, he's, he made sense, you know. Um, he's in his 50s. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. So I'm happy to take the bye and go through into the next round. And, it, you know, you can't sort of knock him for that. And it does make sense. Um, yeah. what I do wonder if it is a an actual injury, because it's very coincidental this news comes out 24 hours after Ms. Ken Anderson's announced for a, a TNA sort of comeback mm-hmm. show. Oh, yeah, so I don't that, know yeah. if that I don't know if that's got anything to do with it or, or not. Oh, yeah, Might he find and, out. He and uh, Dealer Byrne are going to be there mm. as representing their old Aces and Aces faction, because when you think Aces and Aces, you think the two most well-known members, Dealer Byrne and Ken Anderson, not Billy Ray, the guy who was the leader of it or anything. But <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was quite interesting when, in the grand scheme of things, when you look back on it, and we'll talk about the when you get the final, but we start having to go through that match with Matt Cross, a very competitive match, and then I think it was just another obstacle for Starks to overcome because now he's going in against somebody who is fresh when he's just yeah. wrestled the match as brief as it was. Tim Storm is uh, fresher than he is, so I think they used to say to use that to their advantage and give Stark kind of an an obstacle to you know overcome. Yeah, definitely. And it sort of made you think, oh, you know, perhaps Tim Storm will advance because um he's gonna be the fresher guy. Yeah, you know, he hasn't had to wrestle beforehand. Yeah, because I told I was talking to you when we were making our predictions, it was very much between Storm and Starks for me for a while when picking a winner of this tournament. And at the end, I went start because as good as Storm is, I thought uh, they'd want a younger guy to uh, go through and win this tournament and then carry the TV title for a while. And the thing we understand, I'm quite sad that he didn't get, he didn't manage to see him here because he's actually been one of the more interesting things of the last few weeks of power because he's in the, he recently turned heel on Colt Cabana when they were recently doing this thing where everybody could see uh, Anderson was a bad guy, whereas Colt Cabana kind of kept defending him and then eventually he showed his true colours. I think it was kind of, they put Cabana in kind of that sting role where he's overly trusting of someone and then eventually gets turned on. Yeah. And then we talked about earlier about an announcement from uh, Breaking News, Bennett, who <laughs> he thanked the GPB studios for uh, for hosting the tapings in the last couple of interviews, but then he announced there'd be another pay-per-view in April and they said it wouldn't be hosted in GPB Studios, it would be somewhere bigger, but they didn't say where it would be. And then I think there was something else over a sheet, and you, you knew something was going to be announced. So he took the sheet off and revealed the uh, the Crockett Cup, which will take place in April. Now, I remember in 2019 they did the Crockett Cup, and that's how they brought back the NWA Tie Team titles, which was eventually won by Villain Enterprises and... Wild cards were in the final and losing to Villain Enterprises. And remember, the uh, Roy Isaacs and Tom Latimer were in a battle royal in the pre show that show, and they had a wild card battle royal when they were kind of thrown together. And eventually, that's how they got their name the, uh, ah. the wild cards. I wondered, yeah. where the, I wondered where the name had come from. So that's, a, that's enlightened me. Cheers, Scott. Yeah. yeah, it was just filling in for anybody who, had, wasn't, who hadn't been watching NWA that kind of far back. It is. Like it does make sense. It's not the most entertaining story of how you get a, a tag team gets their name, but it it makes sense in the grand scheme of things. I remember 
I think initially, before the whole thing with Marty Scott on there, they had Ring of Honor people on this show. I think they wanted to work with Ring of Honor, but then they kind of had to rush the tag belts off Felon Enterprises and onto the wild cards before the start of power because it didn't look like they were going to be working together. So, yeah, the Crockett Cup is happening in April. Initially, when he said there was going to be a show in April, I thought, were well, they going to do a show Mania weekend? But I'd, I highly doubt it. But I'm interested to see the uh, the Crockett Cup because I really enjoyed this tournament. So, and I love a tournament kind of in general. So I'm up for seeing another tournament from the NWA. Yeah, I'll be interested uh, to see this the Crockett Cup. I think last year's was quite the success. From I never watched it, but from what I heard, it was quite the <laughs> success. So um, looking forward to actually watching it this time and seeing who wins. Yeah, and we've got some some good teams. As part of, as part of the the roster, and also this whole thing, possibly now if this relationship with Ring of Honor continues, they can look into the wider world of wrestling, maybe bringing some teams for a one-off, and we can get see some very unique matchups. So, hopefully, we find out more about it because on the the two nights after, uh, hard times they had another set of tapings across two nights. I think that will probably carry them most of the way to that preview. So. In the next few weeks, we should probably hear more details about what's happening with the Crook Cup if we need to do like qualifiers like they did with the TV title tournament. And uh, speaking of the tag, of tag teams, we had the tag team title match. It was a three-way match for the tag team titles. It was the team of Eli Drake and James Thorne versus the Wild Cards versus the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, this is, this is I'd really no bells kind of thrown together because on the episode of Power before this, Ricky Morton was challenging Nick Aldis for the NWA title. So, so the kind of the titles have kind of been secondary because Ricky Morton's been trying to challenge Aldis for the title. So, like, it kind of felt like the belts weren't really important for the moment, and and just in general, I've not I've not really been happy with the fact that the Rock and Roll Express has a tag chance because I thought they were going to get that brief win and drop them back to the wild cards in the fire. They didn't, they won, and I thought in that match they made the wild cards look really stupid. And then since they've done really nothing with them. Uh, but what were your thoughts on the Rock and Roll Express kind of being tag champs in, in, in 2020? Yeah, uh, it was probably a bit much. Like you said, if they'd have dropped them straight back to the wild cards um, a couple of weeks later, it wouldn't have been too, it wouldn't have been so bad. But like you say, they've been feuding with um, the. Was it just business? I've yeah. completely forgot. Strictly, Strictly business, that's it. And Nick Alder. So, yeah, it's kind of taken the back seat. And uh, it, it, there's another epidemic uh, in tag wrestling that I want to I'll get to when we've um, gone through the match and announced the winners. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, tag, tag team wrestling does seem to be... Sh- struggling sort of everywhere at the moment really as you say they they seem to be belts that get put on the back burner quite a lot for some reason but this was a this was a still an enjoyable match though to be fair I, I enjoyed it and they they can go surprisingly well the Rockwell Express for two guys that are in their 60s <laughs> yeah I mean we I remember they were at full gear me Jimmy and Nathan talked about it, it was the uh, the much assistance uh, on that Canadian destroyer that Ricky Morton had and I remember, I can't remember if it was Joe Gallagher or Stu Bennett, but I remember they said the the ageless Rock and Roll Express, and then I looked at the Rock and Roll Express and I'm like, 
I don't know if, they, if that's an entirely accurate statement, but you know. <laughs> But, yeah, but at least they wear T-shirts. <laughs> There's nothing worse than like these these out of shape older wrestlers with the beer bellies hanging out everywhere and everything. I think it's just to do with our thoughts on the Rock and Express's reign, and that neither of us predicted them a retain. You had the wild cards. I went, I'm really because I didn't want us to have too many uh, similarities. I thought, sure, I'll just I'll take a gamble and I'll go. Eli Drake and, and James Storm. But, like you said, it was a decent um, match. Yeah. It was a Worked decent out match. well for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was still a decent match. I, I thought it was interesting that this was the kind of triple threat tag match where you had to have one from each team in at all times rather than just, like, two people from one from two teams and, like, the other two of the other team are on the apron the whole time and then waiting their moment. No, it was just three guys in the ring at once and I think it was one yeah. of the rare occasions where that helped the match. Yeah, we saw from Survivor Series that that actually works. I mean, I, I wasn't too sure that would work as a concept, but Survivor Series has sold me on it. And when they do these matches in the future, I think this is how they should be um, structured, to be honest. And um, I like the fact that Camille got heavily involved as well by uh, continuously attacking Robert Gibson on the outside. <laughs> I thought it was a good, like, they made a good point on commentary, which really adds to that, and that the fact that she was, he was being kept on the outside by hard men, Ricky Morton couldn't get involved really in the match because if I may get into the match, he had to be tagged in by Robert Gibson. So yeah. basically, he's been kept, the Rock and Roll Express have been kept at the match while the wild cards work over Storm. And what I loved is while Eli Drake's trying to get the crowd behind Storm, he helped Storm fight back. At one point, it cuts over to Storm near Drake's corner, and Eli Drake's randomly wearing. James Storm's cowboy hat. <laughs> I've got to say, not only is he a good promo, but he's really smooth in the ring as well, Eli Drake. Because I'm always impressed when I see him in the in the ring working. Yeah, uh, I always thought when he got his like, proper world title ring and impact, it came at a really bad time, and he didn't really get his due. So I'm hopeful at some point, like whenever he's done with James Storm, he gets a decent singles win at the top of the card for NW in the NWA. There was some really great uh, tag work here. You had Drake and Ricky Morton teaming up on the wild cards, and then once they were taking care of, they looked at each other like, you want to go? And then they started going at it. Ricky Morton managed it, a Canadian destroyer without any assistance, unlike Phil Gear. <laughs> Camille, there's a thing where when Robert Gibson was getting taken out by Camille, they said, oh, Robert Gibson's got too much pride. He wouldn't hit a woman. And then Ricky Morton comes over and teases kicking Camille, thing like... <laughs> Are they saying, like, oh, Robert Gibson has too much pride, but Ricky Morton, he'll smack a woman. <laughs> Those good old baby faces are rocking up his best. <laughs> it was a really mixed message that they were sending, I'm sure. Yeah. And then, obviously, Camille gets involved. There's a bit of a distraction on the outside with the uh, the whale, with the rocking up best getting taken on the outside. I believe one of the rocking up I think maybe Ricky Morton, got hit with the, uh, the gravy train from from Eli Drake, and there's a yeah. second where one of the Rock and Roll Express, the other Rock and Roll Express members going to roll in the ring, I thought, oh, that's not going to be it. And then when James Storm cut him off, I thought, wait, is that it? And then it was a three, and Eli Drake <clears throat> and James Storm won, and I'll be honest, like I said, I only chose them because I didn't want any similarities. I was surprised as anyone that it actually paid off. Yeah, as you say, it was quite well put together at the end, because uh, when you saw the other two sort of 
trying to crawl into the ring, you, you sort of expected the the pin to be broken up, but it, but it didn't happen, like you say. So um, it, the finish kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, but it worked. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that a thrown together tag team won the title belts because, as I made mention at the start of this match, it seems to be a, a growing epidemic in tag team wrestling that these thrown together tag teams just win the titles and tournaments. I mean, you've got Paige and Omega, I know they're friends, but they're not really <laughs> known for being a tag team together. Omega and Paige winning in tag belts in AEW. Rollins and Murphy tag tag team for one night and they win, win the, the Raw tag titles off um, the Viking Raiders. You've got um, Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle that look poised to win the Dusty Classic in the next tee. Um, I'm not too sure what I think about all this. I, I kind of think it hurts tag team wrestling a bit because surely a proper tag team that have been together years should be able to find a way to beat two guys that have just been randomly thrown together. But what do you think? I think I see your point in that when it's half, when it happens once or twice, like you can uh, sometimes you make said about when it's happening. And as an example, then almost every promotion at the moment then you start to notice a bit of a problem with the thing, reason I'm kind of more okay with Storm and Drake winning and the idea of Storm uh, the, the idea of Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne going forward as a tag team is that no, they've kind of shown better chemistry in their few outings. The thing with Pete Dunne possibly winning the uh, Dusty Classic is that they would go on to face Undisputed Era who cost them the Dusty Cup a few years ago so I think there's a storyline wise it really makes sense for the two to go through. And I think the triple threat aspect, you can kind of buy that, even though they're thrown together, with the, when they found the opening, Eli Drake and uh, James Storm were able to pick up the win. And they showed respect to the Rock and Rock Express afterwards. Yeah, which, that was a nice touch. Yeah, which I think, even if there's not a rematch on power at some point, I think we're going to maybe see the Rock and Rock Express kind of fading out a bit. Maybe they'll compete in a Crockett Cup, but they won't be as uh, full time with NWA as they have been in the lead up to this. You you wouldn't have thought so at their advancing age, but you just never know. It's one of those things that seems to be hard for the athletes to let go of wrestling, isn't it? They always want to come back. Apparently, Flair wanted to be part of the match um, in Saudi in that um, Hogan versus Flair thing, didn't he? But uh, <laughs> thankfully, Vince. Vince saw sense and wouldn't hear any of it. Yeah, thankfully for that. Because I remember when they had that initial promo before the announcement of the 515, we thought it was leading to just uh, a single match and us, all the crowd in the arena was cheering. I think, like, oh, God, no, no, don't encourage them. Stop cheering. I know, yeah. I mean, Rick Flair's a 70-year-old man that's had heart problems. He does not want to be going back into the ring at this point in his life. <laughs> As I said earlier, we talking about how is admiring her over Eli Drake is. That was evident in the uh, the promo, because obviously he starts these promo all the time with let me talk to you, and before he even said anything, the mic was just pointed at him and the crowd were chatting, talk to us, and then he got this promo, he and James Storm, and they were teasing potential uh, tag team names like Drinking Buddies, yeah. Beer Muscles. <laughs> I think Drinking Buddies, they got the biggest reaction to the way Storm, so I think that might be... The one, but the whole point of them, serious names, is the only thing they should call be called now is champs because 
they are the new tag team champions. And I'll be interested to see if do they compete in the Crockett Cup or do you think the Crockett Cup will just be a kind of case of trying to crown like a number one contender for the tag titles? Yeah, that's what I would expect now because they've got the belts that uh, it'll be a tournament to to get to number one contenders. But you never know. We'll I suppose we'll find out more as we get closer yeah. to it. The main reason I asked is because uh, we talked about the Dusty Classic a minute ago and the tag champs are in that during the Undisputed Era were involved in before getting eliminated by the grizzled young vets. So there's always a chance they could be involved. But talking of Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Talking of championships, we went on to the Interview Women's Championship match between Alison Kay and the challenger, Flinder Rosa. Now, what was quite interesting about this is they mentioned on commentary that both women had competed in MMA because they made that documentary about Flinder Rosa making her debut in MMA a while back. And I actually listened to an interview with Alison Kay the other day where she mentioned uh, the similarities and that they'd wrestled the MMA and how many people had talked about them doing a, some sort of MMA-style fight, either an interview or doing a legit MMA fight between the two of them. But she said that it was unlikely they could have a legit MMA fight because they are in two like, different weight classes, so it would be unlikely that that could actually happen. Yeah, she's a fair bit bigger, isn't she, um, mm-hmm. Alison Kay? Um but yeah, for me, this was um, been a very interestingly built matchup um, with the sort of arrival of Melina and the two little sort of groups forming. Um, um, oh, what, what's the name? Summit Bell, isn't it? Marty Bell. Uh, yeah. Marty Bell, that's it. Uh, the first name just escaped me for a minute. The Marty Bell sort of turning her back on Alison Kay and joining sort of Team Melina and um, Alison Kay with her. Her uh, two friends, and it always felt like it was building up to be um, Melina, the challenge in Alison K. But I'm glad um, Thunder Rosa got the nod, uh, yeah. to be fair. And I thought this was match of the night. I really enjoyed this. I had no idea who was going to win. I was fighting for all the pinfalls later on and uh, submission spots because. As I said, Eva could have won it in my view. So, and I think it always adds to the excitement of a match um, when you don't know who's going to win. And I'll use Royal Rumble last year as an example. I enjoyed Asuka v Becky a lot more than Sasha versus Ronda because we all knew Ronda was going to beat Sasha and go on to WrestleMania, but nobody was sure who was going to win out of Becky and Asuka. And most people perhaps suspected Becky, but Asuka came on top that time. So it made the match far more interesting because nobody knew who was going to win. And it's the same here. Yeah, 100%. And like they said, this was a 30-minute team limit for the match. And while 30 minutes isn't always the longest match, it didn't go the full 30. The thing about this is with the constant kickouts and all that, it felt like this match was really going the distance. Because by comparison, a lot of the other matches had been under the six-minute, five-second time limit. So it made the match feel like it was going longer and going that much more like epic. And we both predicted Thunder Rosa. But the only reason I predicted Thunder Rosa was because I hadn't been impressed with what Alison Kay had been doing up until this point. The way she had been presented as the women's champion. Because they didn't have that much depth in their women's division. So there weren't exactly that many contenders for Kay to really do much with. And it's Sad that the fact that the the fact that this is one of our well, thing where I actually 
put it against her. She actually showed like why she was a champion in the first place. She actually showed something in this match. I think like, well, finally, and I was really happy to see that. And yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Sorry, yeah, for, I thought Thunder Rosa had been far more interesting, and I still do think so. But as you say, in this match, Alison Kay really, really showed what she's all about. To be fair, yeah, and I agree with you that I thought it was building to Melina versus Alice where Melina was going to get the title and use Rosa and Marty Bell as a like protection to kind of keep the title on her and she was going to have to go on this dominant reign but I think Thunder Rosa was as deserving if not more deserving of this shot and I love definitely they've been teasing like the match they've not been really doing much again I was kind of getting frustrated with how little Alison Key was really doing in the build up to this but as soon as the bell went they went right at each other and then Marty Bell uh, sorry I'm going to say Marty Bell uh, Alison Key hurt her arm at one point and then Thunder Rosa kept targeting and targeting, and then that's when the whole MMA idea came on. Both women's experience, they kept going for submissions and that kind of thing, and Alison Kay busting out a, a tombstone at one point yes. for a great false finish. I, so, thought yeah. that, I thought that was it. I did, I must admit. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, she had her finish the uh, AK-47, that she tried twice to get. She kept, uh, Thunder Rosa kept countering. When she finally did hit it, you notice the injury to Kay's arm, not only did it mean that she struggled to crawl over a capitalize, she couldn't properly hook the leg, so she had to kind of lay on Thunder Rosa. And the commentators said that if she had managed to hook the leg, there's a chance she could have just retained there. And I actually thought, but the more they were focusing on the arm, I thought they were going to have Alison Case submit at the end to really make it look like a dominant win for Thunder Rosa because if she'd like, made the champion submit, because there's that move where she hooked one arm around the back and then was yanked on the other, so she would have to make Kay probably some I think that would be a hell of a statement for Thunder Rosa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered if they might go for that because as as you're saying they were hammering home the MMA um experience and as I say the way she was working on the arm, I I wouldn't have been surprised to see a, a submission finish either. Yeah. And then well being she's a bit smaller than I think Rosa finally managed to get her up for her uh, Kind of, a, kind of a version of the yellow like Bloody Sunday, kind of similar to the move that Finn Balor has used in the past. She managed to get Key up for that and she managed to get the win and the crowd were like chatting, you deserve it for because despite being yeah. part of the Melina's like, heel team, I think if Melina was involved in the match, it would be very much more heavily in favour of Alison Key, but I think Thunder, it was very split and the further the match went, the crowd were more on Thunder Rosa's side. Yeah, she's she's seriously over as uh, Thunder Rosa, and I don't think it hurts that she's quite easy on the eye as well. To be <laughs> to be perfectly honest, but um, after the finish, you sort of saw Alison Kay looking looking on quite disgruntled. So I don't know if there might be a heel turning and maybe a and maybe a switch somewhere down the line that Alison Kay might might turn heel and they might turn Thunder Rosa babyface. Because I wouldn't put it past Molina to um, perhaps turn on um, Thunder Rosa sort of Triple H style to to try and get the championship. Uh, I think maybe we'll start to see some definite tension within this uh, this group that Molina's put together. Mm. Whether or not it'll lead to like who turns on who first, I definitely see a, a base run maybe for Thunder Rosa at some point because. 
it's already very difficult for people to really boo at the moment because they did that documentary uh, when it really showed like her as a as a person. It really made you get yeah. behind her. She's got a really cool like aesthetic with the, the face paint and because... her current gimmick, and also you hear the reaction of the fans when she won. So I think it's one of the cases where she can only be a heel for she's got a shelf life on her time as a heel before they eventually have to really turn her. But she was so different as well because when she made a, a debut and for the first few weeks she had that like um, sort of weird drum beat thing, mm-hmm. didn't she? Uh, to to a company now when she was doing some a bit offbeat. Um, normally uh, on the TV on the power show she she only has half a face painted, doesn't she? But she had full makeup um, for the pay per view. Yeah, I wasn't really, I I wasn't really a big fan of the the whole drums thing, probably because I wasn't sure. Like, is this playing live in the arena, or is this just being having fun? Because the crowd weren't reacting as if they were hearing drums. Like, is this? I was part of me and thought, like, is this just me? Is this just in my head? Like, am I? Is anyone else hearing this? But <laughs> maybe that was maybe that was like the, the idea. <laughs> Possibly, uh, but uh, a great win for Thunder Rosa, but. They transition from this into a video package show and the kind of the build the Aldous versus Flip Gordon and the interference from Nicholas when he shows up at Ring of Honor and the confrontation with Flip Gordon. And that actually made me think like, oh, are they gonna put Nick Aldous in this early in the show? Because it was made clear that the T V title final was gonna be the main event, which I thought was a good decision as yeah. Again made the tournament feel important and made the T V title feel important. And but it, I was actually just setting up for Marty Skill to come out uh, to cut a promo, and he talks about Nick Aldis kind of avoiding them. He says about what? Yeah, he asked Nick, "Why haven't you, why haven't you put the title on the line against uh, Flip?" That was something that was really bugging me in the lead up to this. That I thought, like, why is this a non-title match? I thought it may have just been because, like, again, not that much build because Aldis been occupied with Ricky Morton and also. They thought if we're doing the TV tail tournament, if we've got an NWA title match, we had to put that on last. But I couldn't figure out why. So he gets Badger and Nicholas, and eventually all this comes out. And as I said, I really think his promo game was decent on the mic before. But I think since he definitively turned heel, all this is work week to week has just gotten better and better. Yeah, he's he's killing it um, as a heel, and in recent weeks, and yeah, and um, again. Couldn't agree with you more. I was wondering why it wasn't a title match. Perhaps you could say that what's Flip done to deserve a, a shot at the NWA title. But this was a good way to um, make it uh, a title match. Uh, Marty Skrull uh, sort of goading Aldis into putting the belt on the line. Mm-hmm. And Aldis always looking out for himself, trying to make sure he's tip in his favour. So he said he would put the title on the line and also Flip when he gets the title. And Aldous said that if he won, he would then be dictating any business that would happen between NWA and Ring of Honor and Strictly Business versus uh, Villain Enterprises. And he also insisted that uh, Marty Skrull had to leave the building. And like eventually he did, and there was a crew that came out to eject him from the building. Now I'm trying to figure out if the chant from the crowd of, you don't work here, was that directed at Marty Skrull or is that directed at these security guys? Because I couldn't figure it out. No, I'm not too sure myself in all in all fairness. I know, it, it just seemed to come out of... I mean, because it just made me think of the bit Bianca Belair and XC a while back just pointed at Tony Storm like, you don't even go here. <laughs> Which really popped me. Uh, 
yeah, I think it's very interesting that like, I think they're kind of teasing that eventually we're going to get this thing with with Marty Skull and Nick Aldis again. They they started it from when Marty appeared it into the fire. They had the match at the initial Krog Cup back in 2019. So I'm wondering if they're holding off to the Krog Cup so it can basically be a year on when Marty takes the title because it seems they're going down that route of long-term story building. Yeah, it could be. I mean, maybe the Crockett Cup will be like their their big sort of annual pay per view, awesome. and that's where the you know everything they're building up towards will uh, sort of take place. But yeah, well, I guess we'll find out in the coming weeks what what they want to do. Yeah, well, you never know. And uh, I want to ask, what were your thoughts on the the news when it looked like Marcel was leaving Ring of Honor? He shows up in the NW. Everybody really. Kind of wanting to go to AEW, that's where it was assumed he was going because he was part of the elite. The whole thing of allegedly he was maybe revealed the leader of the Dark Order, and then he signs this deal with Ring of Honor where he's gonna he's kind of in this Booker role. And I think part of this is he's trying to help build the relationship between Ring of Honor, help bring Revolver back, and but then he's trying to build a relationship between Ring of Honor and NWA. Like a lot of people are kind of happy that he's getting paid more money. Allegedly, he's been paid main roster WWE money, given by one report. But I think a lot of people, like, were really just hoping he would go to AEW. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. I think maybe perhaps the same reason Nick Aldis didn't go to AEW. The, the, the sort of bigger names in Ring of Honor and NWA, respectively. And I think they stand out more, and I think they've got more chance of being making more of a name for themselves and perhaps being seen as bigger stars, um, mm. staying where they are. And it's a nice gig. I think uh, I, I heard he's not just a booker, but head booker is, mm. is, is, is what I heard. So it's a pretty good um, role for Marty Skrull. So it's not surprising he accepted it in, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how like valid this whole thing of him being revealed as the leader of the Dark Order was, but if that was what was waiting for him in AEW, I think he was better off staying where he is. And mm. as you said, if he wins the NWA title, I think he's only going to hold it for a while. But I think the idea of him holding it and then defending it on Ring of Honor shows maybe he's hoping that this will bring some eyes back to Ring of Honor. Because since MSG last year, in the eyes of a lot of people, like Ring of Honor has really fallen down the totem pole. Yeah, and uh, this... Uh, new alliance with uh, the NWA could really help them get back on track. I think they got to, yeah. yeah, it should kind of work for both organizations, really, this partnership. Yeah, I think they're hoping they have a strong partnership with someone like NWA because it seems every other week people are thinking that New Japan are going to end their partnership with Ring of Honor and then start one with AEW, but you know, that's a whole other thing. but we move on with the TV title tournament. Our first semi-final match is Dan Math versus Trevor Murdoch. And as I said, they probably wanted this matchup because they knew two big brawls going at each other. Like, they just they beat the hell out of each other. And that's exactly what they did because by the end of it, Trevor Murdoch going into the next match, Trevor Murdoch's chest was, like, bright red because he and Dan Math just kept chopping each other. Yeah, just two big brutes going at it, hammer and tongues, and it was surprisingly short. This one, it only went just over three minutes, didn't it? it was, yeah, it, it was a very quick match, but 
I suppose it worked because, as I say, it's, it was only so long two big brutes could knock bumps out of each other. And yeah. uh, Murdoch again got the win with his uh, top rope bulldog. Yes, the most protected move in all of the NWE. Yes. <laughs> I, think I mean, a man we'll... of his size and body shape, it's, it's quite a feat for him to come off a top rope, to be <laughs> fair. Yeah. And the thing with Murdoch is like the whole thing of this being like, the thing with this being short is I get that because while again, like you're wrestling three matches in one night, I think the whole idea is get these matches over as quickly as possible so you still have as much energy as possible the further on you get if you're in the mm. final. And again, we talked about Mass Spear earlier on, on. It made sense. It looked great against Ziggy Dice being a smaller guy. It looked just as impressive when it had it on a much bigger guy like. Uh, Murdoch, the way Trevor Murdoch sold it, like yeah. it really turned him inside it, as the old saying goes. And like you said, it only went three minutes. I could have watched them going on for another 20, just beating the hell out of each other, like, <laughs> like they do in Japan, where it just it takes bits, like they stare each other, they just hit each other harder and harder. But again, it was only a certain time limit, and it made sense that Murdoch went over because he is a, a veteran. And also, he's actually a part of the interview roster. So, like, it was good to see Demoff get a bit further on as this open slot, but I think, you know, it's going to be two NWA, like, full-time guys in the final. Yeah, and uh, so it should have been, to, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And then, what well, took us into is Ricky Starks versus Tim Storm, and they told, they kept saying about how uh, Tim Storm is fresh, he's also got more experience than that this would probably put Ricky Starks at kind of a disadvantage. And then uh, Dave Marquez, God love him, uh, messed up and accidentally announced uh, announced Tim Storm as being from New Orleans, Louisiana, which is actually where where Ricky Starks is from. And then immediately he finds you realize his mistake and you hear him actually in the going, Oh, I'm sorry. And then he actually announces where he's from. And that'll couple be coming to a Botchamania episode near you. <laughs> Uh, and then so we had this match and again I think out of all the the matches up at this point this got the closest to the actual time limit like they were very nearly just under two minutes left when the actual finish occurred and I think given that one of the competitors is fresh like he's not competed at any point whereas Starks this was the second match of the night it made sense because Storm would have a bit more stamina yeah, definitely, and uh, I, I started to convince myself it was going to go to a time limit draw the way it was going to try and protect both men as both baby faces. And um, I noticed, and he did, he did this for the final as well. Ricky Starks had changed his gear up. Yeah, I like yeah. I like that when when wrestlers are wrestling multiple things during the night that they they change their gear for a little bit. I like that. He's a fun character, Ricky Starks. So mm-hmm. I, I do like him, and perhaps I should have seen that he'd have probably won, but there you go. I remember actually got a, a interview with Ricky Starks a while back, and he was really cool. He, he talked to him, I remember he, uh, when he was in that feud with Aaron Stevens, and Aaron Stevens was hyping up this movie of his called Tropical Pirates. I oh, asked yeah. uh, Ricky Starks if, he'd, if he intended to see it, and he said, Oh, I actually got an advanced screener of it. I fell asleep during it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I was worried like, if I mentioned the whole tropical pirate thing, if he'd be on board with it. And then he was, 
he was very quick with that comeback. So he's a really great guy. So that's probably partly why I was behind him. But like you said, we talked about the, that wee bit of doubt in your mind. I was really convinced that Storm would somehow pull out the way and you'd have the two veterans in the final. Yeah, and yeah, I was, thing. to be fair. But... And you had the whole thing with Storm, like the idea of you can go after any title but the end of the title. So the fact that you could see him with like the TV title wasn't out of the realms of possibility. And especially at the one point where you had that kind of the, the perfect storm, that kind of spinning, kind of like the boss man slam uh, move. There was a point that was the closest I thought that, I thought, oh, Jesus, like, I thought Ricky Sarks was done. But they did protect, kind of, Tim Storm in the end because it was a crucifix pin from Ricky Sarks that caught him in the end and that allowed Ricky Sarks to advance. Like, I initially thought, like I said, they were going to protect him. I thought the way they would do it was have Sarks win by judge's decision. So it kind of didn't make Tim Storm look weak than that. He was coming in fresh and then lost. But I think the fact he got caught with a roll protects him just as well. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good finish. And although he was uh, fresher, um, he is a lot older than Ricky Starks, to be fair. So, so Ricky did have that in his favour. Yeah. So the main event is set to be Trevor Murdoch versus Ricky Starks. And before that, we've got uh, the most random match on the entire card. Yeah. <laughs> Holla! If you hear me! <laughs> You've got uh, Scott Steiner versus Aaron Shooter Stevens. He now has a third Dan in Mongolian karate. He's the first ever third Dan NWA national champion. And I was a bit disappointed with this match because I was expecting a karate masterclass, but <laughs> it, it just it, it just it just didn't get going for some reason. Bless him. Uh, like I remember, Paul, uh, Scott Steiner popped up uh, a few weeks back to help Nick Aldis and Strictly Business, and he explained that because they hadn't announced it on power, like they had no segments together. Because when they did that whole Mongrel and Karate showcase. They, I thought for some reason that Scott Day would come out and confront them and that would lead to this match. Yeah, yeah, I convinced myself that, but it was Ricky Starks under a mask instead, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, and that's why I thought the question mark and yeah. Starks would be the final. I thought that was going to lead, that was signalised that was going to be the final because they're on the end. It makes sense, yeah. And I think uh, Ricky Starks got caught the national title and that triple threat. Uh, into the fire part of it was interference from the question marks. I thought it was all building to eventually start getting his revenge and then at the same time you'd win the TV title. But clearly I put too much thought into that. (laughs) (laughs) They explained that all this because Henry, to show his thanks for Scott Steiner helping them and him in Strictly Business, he'd apparently used his influence to get Steiner this title shot, which is a decent enough explanation as any. I loved uh, the question marks uh, Kill Bill outfit that he came out in. <laughs> yeah. I like so, the fact that Steiner still got his um, sort of siren entrance music as well. Yeah. Well, I think it's what people most know him for, like that siren, because he's had a different variation of it in pretty much every promotion he's worked for. Yeah, he must be able to just uh, tweak it enough to get away from uh, copyright uh, infringements and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. But I think the sheer randomness of this match made it one of the most intriguing to me, but 
I agree with you that it never, it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be because you expect Stevens to kind of get beat up a lot because he's maybe this coward, but he got beat up a lot by Steiner. Then there were bits where Stevens was stolen and he got very little offense in and then Steiner went into lock in the Steiner recliner, which as he gets older makes it look like he's putting less and less pressure on the more you see it. I remember <laughs> he put him in, in Impact a, while, a few years ago. And he put he put on the weakest looking Steiner recliner. It looked like he just he just squatted over the guy and just ran just wrapped his arms around him like it made Steiner, made makes Cena's STF look great by comparison. Yeah. I was gonna say he's clearly been taking tips off um, <laughs> Cena. What what do you think of um, Aaron Stevens' gimmick in NWA? Because pretty much his gimmick is that he's actually crap and he sort of gets by by cheating and interference by the question mark, doesn't he? Because he's, yeah. he always gets sort of his butt kicked in matches, no matter mm-hmm. who he's against. And he just, sort of, if he does win, it's sort of scraping through by the skin of his teeth. I'm, I find it quite enjoyable because we actually know he's actually, from seeing him in WWE, he's actually a pretty good wrestler. But he's playing this this guy who hasn't got a clue, basically, isn't he? Yeah, I think the, the whole thing is he had legitimately went left wrestling for a pursue acting. So I think his whole gimmick was when he came out, when he came back and debuted in NWA, that the whole thing was he'd gotten a bit soft by being in Hollywood and being away from wrestling for so long. So I think that's probably why he wasn't kind of up to it and had to rely on tactics like uh, cheating. And then he is then went on to the uh, the tutelage of uh, of the question mark and learning the art of monkrooking karate. Surprisingly um, quickly as well. I know. <laughs> It took him a couple of weeks to pick it up. Apparently so, but I think like, I like the idea of him getting by by team, but there is a kind of a limit, and I think this match kind of crossed the limit of like how much, like, oh crap, he can be made to look because he got very little of any offense in, and then the uh, the question mark got involved because of the DQ, and then Steiner locked the question mark in the Steiner recliner, and Aaron Stevens just left. And let the yeah. to get beat up. Just typical of his character. I think this worked with Scott Stein. I mean, you wanted to see Stein, in all seriousness, you wanted to see Scottish Stein dominate Stevens, but you also you don't want a 57-year-old who struggles to move, win a title either. So hopefully mm-hmm. Stevens will drop it back to maybe Colt Boom Boom Cabana or, or someone, you know, someone who's younger and can go a bit better than Steiner, hopefully. Um, yeah. I was I was worried that the position that the question mark was in would that was, that meant that the uh, with Steiner being over him I thought that was going to lead to Steiner trying to unmask him which I didn't want. Yeah, to see. yeah, yeah. I was I was convinced that might have happened as well, but but it didn't. I also like the fact um, um, Stu Bennett pointed out that um, Aaron Shooter Stevens' initials spell A double S. And. I think well, I think this is definitely going to start with tension between uh, Stevens and the question mark because the whole thing if he gets booed and the question mark gets cheered, it's basically put Aaron Stevens from the Miz role into the Miz role, and now question mark is basically Miz down now, and then yeah. he's getting cheered more. And then the most random thing about all of this is Steiner takes out the ref, he's ang- angry. He then randomly picks up the TV title from its where it was sitting, and then just throws it on the ref. And fucks off. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought perhaps he was going to declare himself TV champion. He does. Uh, he does have notoriety for sort of just doing what he wants and going off script, doesn't he? Yeah, no, I like that. Was just baffled me, but I agree with you earlier on that the women's match was match of the night. A close second for me was this next match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was Flip Gordon representing Villain Enterprises against Nick Aldis, and yeah. They talk- uh, sorry, Scott. Yeah, but this brings me back to my point I made earlier. There was no doubt in my mind that Nick Aldis would retain in this match, so it kind of lacked the t- the tension that the women's match had for me. But as you say, it was a it was a very good match all the same. Yeah, what I think was they mentioned the uh, the match that they had a few years ago and lead up to All In between Flip Gordon and Nick Aldis, and the whole thing where Flip was trying to get booked for the show, and I think. Flip looked a lot better here than he did initially because since then he's put in a lot more kind of muscle, so he looks a lot bigger than he did then, even though he's still like as athletic, like pulling out like the moves, like that star-spangled spinning like stunner move that he did and then what I thought was weird is, I don't think they've made it a rule that people don't really dive in the NW, but Brian Hebner trying to stop uh, trying to stop Flip Gordon from diving to the outside onto all this that was yeah, kind of weird. Bennett did sort of cover it a little bit by saying perhaps he was showing a bit because he's an NWA official. Perhaps he was showing a bit of bias. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, the thing with Dubin is he seemed confused that the crowd were behind Flip Gordon because despite all this being a heel, like Gordon's a Ring of Honor guy from another company, and all uh, Bennett was, Bennett was like, you'd think these fans would cheer for one of their own rather than someone from another company. Which I thought was interesting about us. Like he'd say that being like the heel commentator. Yeah, it, it just shows you how good Aldis's heel work's been though lately. That even though it's a sort of outsider, the fans still sort of sided with um, Flip Gordon. Like, I really didn't know that when Aldis is big, I said like uh, Flip Gordon looks a lot bigger. He's got. Uh, like more muscle, and all this is clearly like the stronger guy. So he found an opening, and he started to wear the uh, flip down. He, he also hits a tombstone on point, and then immediately goes up for an elbow drop. He's uh, he's locking in the figure four at one point. Uh, but also like we flip that he did that that stun as I mentioned. He then he didn't go for the cover. He actually went up and he hit it a second time. So he clearly taking notes when he was watching Trevor Murdoch in the first round. Of the TV title tournament, yeah, and I've actually forgotten the finish. The finish is just went right like, in my head. It's um, it was like what I call the sort of like the bulldog finish. Um, oh yeah, Flip Gordon went for the victory roll, and uh, I'll just carry it by just basically sitting on him. Oh, yeah, and, I, forgot, I don't know why it kind of just blanked for a second because I remember watching it, thinking that I could see the comparisons that you did. Uh, I can see comparisons like Brett and Owen from me at 10 where Flip yes. was on the shoulders and went to do the roll through but then uh, all this countered and I think again all this being kind of the bigger guy he might say like put the pressure down on the shoulders to keep them down for the three seconds so because Flip Gordon did come close a few times even though like you said it was probably only the women's match it was kind of clear that he wasn't going to win but like he got a good few good near falls but and all this managed to scrape by rather than winning by submission with either the figure four or the clover that he usually does. So at least 
flip looks good in defeat, and you know that the only thing with Villain Enterprise and that is uh, not that I expect either on Ring of Honor or some point on Powerless, there'll probably be a big multi-man, either eight-man or six-man tag between Trickly Business and uh, Villain Enterprises. Yes, definitely. That that'll be something to look forward to. Yeah, I thought I thought the finish sort of gave Nikazis a clean win, but also protected Flip Gordon at the same time. So, uh, yeah, well booked. Yeah, and uh, that then took us nicely into our, our main event for the TV title. And what I thought was, was strange is there wasn't actually, a, it didn't seem like there was a time limit here like for the final. Yeah, they, they did announce there'd be no time limit for this match. They, they, yeah, did, they did announce that. Because the... They never said the counter at the bottom, and uh, barely they didn't go much longer than the usual six minute time limit than the other matches went. But personally, I think this main event because I was really excited because the, 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 the final of the tournament that was going to end the pay per view and we we're going to get a new TV champion. What I thought was the fact that they didn't have the, the, the timer that the other matches had, I feel like this match lost something. Because the first few minutes were very slow, very methodical, and they didn't feel like there was just that same like urgency that the other matches had. But maybe they're trying to start slower because they're trying to illustrate the fact that these other these guys have wrestled. This is their third match in the one night, so maybe they're a bit like obviously they're a bit worn out. Yeah, it could be, but this is why I sort of hope they they bring back the time limit. The TV title defenses on uh, the Power Program. I think it'll just give us, give that title a, uh, a, a different spin, having the time limit, and it also sure. gives the sort of champion another advantage that he can, if he can't sort of beat the opponent, he can try and run the clock down to retain his title. Yeah, I thought that. Well, I thought it was uh, something that, like, I was glad that Starks had gotten this far. But I could see. Uh, Murdoch also getting the title, but something that really kind of felt that maybe Starks was going to pick up the win was the fact that uh, despite being a face in the first two matches, it seemed like because he was the bigger guy, it seemed like uh, Murdoch started acting like a, a more of a heel towards Starks and kind of using his size as an advantage. And yeah, uh, I noticed that as well. Um... It definitely, as the match wore on, it definitely looked like Murdoch was sort of working um, he, he, as a heel or sort of heelish at, at the very least. Yeah. And, like, there were still very loud, like, Chairman Murdoch supporters in the crowd. And it kept going back and forth. But I think uh, the starts, the more that starts get started getting worn over before his eventual comeback against Murdoch, you could tell some people were being swung over and they were starting to chant. For, for Stark, so I think uh, obviously they achieved their initial their goal of getting people behind Starks because you didn't want to have him win when there were still so many people cheering for Murdoch because you didn't want to go to the sort of tournament and then have whoever won get booed. But he got his, his flurries, big like, comeback did start, then they didn't think he'd be able to get Murdoch up for his, like the stroke, the dull underhook into the face buster, but something miraculously, despite being, this being his third match in the night, he managed to get Murdoch up and he hit it and Ricky Starks becomes the new NWA television champion and I think it's a, a smart decision because obviously he's been heavily featured, he was touted by 
by Nick Aldis as a future star. He had that match with Aldis, a kind of a showcase match where he took Aldis to the time limit where for the, like, the full last minute he was locked in the clover leaf but didn't tap out. So he showed his resilience and I think it's a smart decision to have him as the champion. Yeah, definitely. They've clearly been building him up. Um, he's he's a younger, sort of more over talent, so it, it makes sense to put the the title on him. Uh, no complaints from that respect, apart from the fact it buckled up my predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing with uh, the the tournament is we were also predicting we were predicting who won, but we decided like if neither of our picks won, we were just going to go with who got further. So when it came to the semis, I thought, all right, I'll probably, I thought like I'm fine with Storm winning because at least, at least Dark yeah. has gone a bit further. <laughs> you'd already, you'd already won the prediction contest by that point, so yeah, you had nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah, no. but it, it, it's good. I would say the prediction thing. I think it's it was still a smart choice for Stark to be the champ, and like I said, I think it would be a great weekly feature to look forward to to have the TV tail defended every week. And I thought to say in general that I'm glad they kept the old school design of the TV title because it's a really beautiful looking design because I didn't like when they changed up like some of the newer belts like the women's belt looks more like a toy than a belt. Um, I kind of go back and forth in the tag belts. The national belt looks more like just a leather strap they super glued plates to. So the TV belt and the actual 10 pounds of gold for me are the two like best looking belts they've got right now. Yeah, definitely. And I noticed the women's title is a picture of the champion inside it. So yeah, I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure. Not sure what I make of that. To be honest, <laughs> I know. Like, it's weird. Like, W's got these custom C plates. You get one end of it, you get a picture of your face on. Like, <laughs> which I think is just it's just strange. Like, it is I agree. Really. I, I could do without <laughs> that. Honestly, as good as this paper was, like from start to finish, we've kind of been talking very positively about it. I thought, I think maybe because the last preview ended with a big debut that I was kind of underwhelmed by it, but I liked the fact that starts when he had a brief celebration in the ring with the belt, he high fived the fans in the front row, and then he just just wandered through the curtain to the back, and then the preview just ends. I thought they would have had him go up to the podium with Dave Marquez and cut a brief promo, and then that was how the show went off air, but. The fact they just each wondered what, well, like, oh well, good night, everyone, and then there was just two minutes left of the pay per view, and it was just silence. And yeah, it's a bit weird. I was also surprised, like, no one presented him with the belt, like perhaps, um, maybe yeah. Stu Bennett or um, William Corgan could have um, presented him with the title belt just to make it feel even more sort of prestigious. But yeah, well, like, yeah you, can't, you can't have everything. It's nit, nitpicking, really. I, yeah. I thought it was a, 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 right. a fantastic show, really. Yeah, I get what you're saying about the about like having a legend come back because I think Nikita Koloff came back one of the weeks when they were doing a draw and he helped pick out a couple of names and he mentioned the importance of the TV title. So having someone like him, like a former TV champion, coming back to present the belt, I like the idea. Of, so yeah, yeah, they could have done that. From. But. Like I said, it's a small complaint for a show that talked to bottom, I think, was a great show overall. Like, they had the tournament give you something to follow throughout the night. You had the tag match and the women's title match were really two of the, like, standout non-tournament matches. There's the, the intrigue around 
whether or not like what's the thing with Ring of Honor going to lead to, and then in the next tapings we're going to start this build to the Crockett Cup. So I definitely think the NWA still got a lot going for it. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to keep on watching, and hopefully they can pick up some more viewers. And I don't know. I would kind of I'd like them to get a TV deal, but I kind of wouldn't because I like just being able to watch it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> bit, of a catch, bit of a catch. 22 there but definitely yeah definitely one of my favorite shows at the moment um and before we sign off and do any plugs i think would be a, uh, a miss not to uh say who we think will win both rumbles so scott who do you fancy to win uh the men's and women's royal rumbles uh sunday evening see the women's rumble i'm a bit more confident about i i'm heavily thinking uh a Shayna Baszler win, and I think the men's one. I know Roman is the the favourite. I part of me is actually thinking, and not, it's not just because he's also Scottish. I'm hype. I'm really thinking Drew McIntyre is a strong contender. If, if he doesn't win it, I think they thought of that he might be the guy to eliminate Brock. So he will be in a top match at Mania, even if he doesn't win the Rumble. I think if he did win the Rumble, then I think it would be a good one because I don't think it's someone from the UK has ever actually won the Royal Rumble. Well, you can maybe count Becky Lynch, but she's from like the Republic of Ireland. But I don't know if if some people would count that. Um, well, yes. Which part of Ireland is Seamus from? Because he won one as well, didn't he? But, they, they both yeah, from the same um, yeah. So... But yeah, no, it, it would be nice uh, for Drew to win. Uh, I've been fancying Roman, but again, you could get to Roman versus the Fiend at WrestleMania without him having to win the mm. Rumble. So he doesn't have to win it, but uh, I kind of see him. I kind of see, like you say, I can see Drew eliminating Lesnar and get into Lesnar that way. I really have just not came for square. He's just, <laughs> he, he just showed nothing at all in his um, previous showings on TV. So they'd really have to do something special with him to, to build any real interest for Mania. It perhaps works as another Saudi show, but I just I don't Maybe. think it'll feel big enough for, for Mania, that. And like Maybe. you, yeah. Go on, sorry. I think part of the reason Roman is so heavily touted is because Brock is the Raw champion and he's in the Rumble. It's assumed that whoever eliminates him will be his challenger. So people are thinking, oh, it's going to be a SmackDown guy. I mean, you look at SmackDown, of everyone on the, the roster, you think probably Roman is the probably the person in the best position to challenge the Fiend at WrestleMania. So I think that's why Roman has been such a favourite. Yeah, definitely. He's still my favourite, just, but I wouldn't be surprised to see someone else sneak it. Uh, like yourself, I, I'm I'm um, pretty convinced it's going to be Shayna Baszler for the for the women. She is my favourite wrestler, as has been well documented. But the fact that they were sort of, oh, she's not going anywhere on NXT and on Twitter as well. She's being put. I think they, when they start doing that a bit too much, it does make you think, hmm, are they protesting a bit too much here? Um, yeah. There's still a chance Ronda Rousey could um, could uh, enter the Rumble and win. I, I'm so, but 
you'd have thought something would have leaked by now if if she yeah. if she was definitely going to be in there. I think it would. Be, I know they can keep secrets, but I think someone of Ronda's stature, it would it'd be very hard to keep that under wraps this long. But you never mm-hmm. know; stranger things have happened. Uh, I think. Yeah. I think Shayna or Ronda, if they win, they're going to come out at number thirty. Is is my belief, but. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. You just never know. They might throw a spanner in the works and have Sasha win. Who who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's a really exciting weekend because we had hard times. We're recording this before Worlds Collide, and while that'll be a hell of a a show, I'm really looking forward to the main event, eight man tag, especially. Yes, I thought there wasn't anything on the line at that show. I thought like they would have winners of each match, maybe get spots in their respective rumbles because they said there's going to be a an NXT involvement in the Rumbles this year. So I thought that was really good, but then they didn't announce anything, so there's not really much at stake. So that's why we chose to do this while Jimmy and uh, Nathan are going to be predicting the Rumble, and the, the review of that is going to be coming out hopefully Monday, Tuesday sometime. And the loser of that, their predictions going to eventually we'll have to record a punishment along with Carl, who lost your <laughs> hard time. No! So we wanted a, a rumble-ish sort of theme for the uh, the punishment. This uh, and originally Nathan suggested watching the the Greatest Royal Rumble, and I thought, while it's a bit of a, a slog to get through, I mean you've still got the Titus O'Neil botch to laugh at to get you through. So I thought maybe not punishment enough. I thought so. We we have decided that the two losers will get together and re- review. The critical masterclass that is <laughs> the David Arquette project ready to rumble. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, and thankfully I don't have to. Know. No, I, I've never seen it either. I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, I hope it's available on Netflix or Amazon Prime because I don't own a copy of it on DVD, and I'm not sure where to get one. Well, I might be able to get one of those cheap preps from Amazon, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to work out how to get hold of it to watch it, yeah? <laughs> Yeah, we we will we will make sure uh, make sure you find a copy, Carl, because you know, <laughs> I'm sure I've got people no demand <laughs> no punishment must well. be upheld. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I I would have sympathy, but then considering what me myself and my good friend Paul had to do when we lost to Jimmy and Nathan at Survivor Series, I have I've lost all <laughs> sympathy for for punishments. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> so I look forward to hearing that and I look forward to the Royal Rumble and hope you all do as well and we hope you've enjoyed our review of NWR Times Carl before we go and before you probably crawl up into a ball contemplating your, your prediction choices that have led to this point <laughs> what, uh, do I give us your plugs if you have any yes uh, you can find me at Carlos underscore fire 89 on Twitter and Instagram and you can find us at rogue underscore opinions on Twitter and Instagram using the same handle to make things simple and yeah we've got all sorts of uh, naked men recently went up on on Anchor and Spotify so mm-hmm. check that out and check out all our other podcasts that you can find there and over to you Scott Yes, 
Uh, you can find me at Scott McLeod 1986. You can find the other podcast I do, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SB Rambling on Twitter. We're on all the same Android podcasts that Rugged Pines is available on. And you can go back on that show and you can listen to that punishment that I previously mentioned where I lost all, I just lost the complete world to live if you listen back to it. Uh, <laughs> the, the show I refer to as the show that must not be named. Uh, but you should also check out our back catalog here at Rogue Opinions. So much great stuff. Me, Jimmy, and Nathan all got together a while back to work our own version of WrestleMania before we officially kick off WrestleMania season. It's it was a long show and there's some very interesting things in our mind. And we're expecting a call from Stanford any minute now <laughs> to to get that that spot on the creative team. But as uh, Carl said rogue underscore opinions is you can find us on Twitter. You can that's where you can find uh, live tweets during wrestling shows. You can find when we tweet the links out to all of our shows, and I think that's where Jimmy and Nathan will be posting their official predictions for the Royal Rumble. So if you want to know going into it, who has a better chance of joining Carl for the punishment, that's the place to go. But until the the Rumble and the uh, a very exciting punishment. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll bid you adieu and see you next time. Yes, but make sure you tune in for my suffering when I go <laughs> through. The, probably with Nathan going from uh, current form when uh, Nathan and Jimmy do predictions, but you never know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, goodbye. If you ever take a trip. Signs.